is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from episode 56, our discussion on nutrition and Nash with Ken Kusi and Shira Zelbersagi in honor of U.S. Thanksgiving. This is a new topic for us, yes, even after 160-some episodes, a new topic. Enjoy. This final conversation starts with Jorn Schottenberg recalling Shira Zelbersagi's statement that diet is every day, but noting that for patients whose serious medical issues are related to poor diet and lifestyle choices, behavior and diet can play a role in improved patient self-care and overall health. I note that a combination of medical Medications and self-management can each reinforce the other, which leads Shira to provide a step-by-step vision of how to work with patients on improving bad habits. In the end, she notes, clinicians and leaders need to appreciate the importance of policy in supporting clinical goals, something that does not happen often enough. The conversation continues with the group discussing what Louise Campbell calls fun facts about foods that are bad for you. Louise mentions what the British call crisps and the U.S. call chips. I mentioned sugar soft drinks and perhaps pork lines for those living in the southern U.S. From there, we move to my final question. Seeking a behavior providers will push their patients to adopt, and you'll have to listen to hear how our panelists answer. Over two and a half years into the Nash Tsunami, we finally dedicated an episode to diet and nutrition. From where I sit, this episode's been worth the wait. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, digest, and when you're done, join the discussion in our LinkedIn discussion group. Jörn Schattenberg. Diet is every day, and this is true for everybody, but in our patients that are suffering from diet-related lifestyle diseases, it's crucial that we take it serious. After hearing and listening to us, I also think it's not the sole solution to go for diet. Ken mentioned this early on to add on medical therapy, and I do see a clear window of opportunity to improve liver health here by adding diet and a liver-directed therapy, so I'm very optimistic um, this is really going to help, and it's an adjunct in my understanding. Your, my own experience, I think, would support that and, and that of a lot of what we hear on the podcast. Happily, you know, in my case, it was cholesterol and cholesterol meds, but you can only do so much for the diet anyway, right? So, Shira, the question that goes along with that is, if people ask too much of their diets, that's likely not to work. How do you help them be realistic in their expectations? Shira Zelbersagi. Well, I ask the patient very carefully what he eats and what are his favorite foods and what he can give up. What are the things that he can start with. So let's say if a patient uh, drinks a lot of cola, he also doesn't have a very healthy diet. But let's say he drinks a large bottle of soft drinks a day. So the change can be very small. You you can't change the diet in one day. So it can be like, uh, you know what, until the next visit, just try not to drink soft drinks. We won't change the diet at that point, but just try not to drink soft drinks. So my point is that we go step by step and we always see what a patient is capable to maintain and what is really difficult for him to maintain. We discuss it, we negotiate on it, and we find the way in the middle because just saying don't eat this and that, it's 100% never touch these foods, it's impossible and it's it's not going to work. And let's be honest, none of us is perfect. We all eat and drink things that we shouldn't. It's only a matter of balance. So it's finding the right balance tailored to the patient's specific needs and preferences. I think this is the issue. Now we need to remember that we live in a very opisogenic environment. We are surrounded by ultra-processed food and drinks. In fact, more than 50% of the calories in 
Western countries come from ultra-processed foods in Europe as well as in the, in the United States. So it is very difficult to expect that the patient would keep the diet when he is surrounded by so many temptations. Almost all the food we buy is ultra-processed food, rich in saturated fat, which is unhealthy, sugar and other compounds. So we need to work very hard with the patients to explain to him that it's good to get back to the basics, to eat as less as, less as processed food as he can, not 100% not to eat it, but just less. Go back to the basic, to the home cooking, to the basic natural food. That can be really good starting points, I think. And also, of course, we have the responsibility to help change the environment, to make the environment healthier. I think this is our responsibility as clinicians. We don't only treat the patients, we also need to work on aspects of policy and trying to improve the environment to make the healthier choices the easier choices. This is a group where everybody in this group, I think, does that. I know you do, sure. I know Ken does. I know Louise does. I know Jorn does. So being involved with policy is part of the issue. I think that that's really helpful. Louise Campbell. I just think it's fantastic listening to those little snippets of advice that only take seconds in a clinic but can make a big change. And I think it is slow and steady. It's a marathon, not a sprint. That becomes achievable. I do have the advantage. I see people with poor liver health because they choose to have a liver check rather than somebody who necessarily needs to develop disease and they're way more buy into, well, if I've got this, why wouldn't I want to make that change? But if they make a change in their home, they make a change for their children too. Because if you remove those sugar drinks, you improve the next generation. My biggest fun fact, Shira will probably say this is wrong, but for a packet of crisps or chips, as you call them in the US, it's never been a children's portion. It's always been an adult portion. Now they supersize them, but 25 grams of potatoes, they stuff four kilos worth of potatoes fat into one packet of chips. And that really makes everybody laugh. That's right. The top of my list of things that people don't know how bad they are are sugar-saturated drinks and crisps or chips, as you would say. There is no other fast food that I can think of that is, well, maybe pork rinds in the South. Oh, I don't know. Stephen's deep-fried turkey sounds like it could be competing. (laughs) Yeah, but you don't eat that every day, thank goodness. If a friend who was a frontline physician asked you what one thing you heard in the last hour from Shira or any of the rest of us that they can adopt immediately that will have an impact on how patients hear them or patients behave. What's the one thing you'd pick up on? Ken Kusi. I learned a lot from Shira, Louise, who do this more often. One thing that, that comes to the bottom line is this is really all about our relationship with food and not only us as adults, but most of the people who struggle with weight have children. I mean, children don't don't listen to what we say so much as they look at what we do. So if you want to have a healthy child, the greatest gift that you can do them, among lo- other than love, of course, is to put them on a path for of health for the future and learning to eat or your effort for eating right. Even sometimes your failures all teach kids that this is a lifelong journey with food, self-love, self-esteem, and caring. So I think there's a lot to learn from our struggle with food that can be translated to other aspects of life in terms of being forgiving with ourselves, doing good choices, accepting some poor choices, but that this is going to be something that is going to be a struggle until our last breath. So accept it and just do the work and don't get discouraged by temporary failures. We're not always at our best, but the thing is your long-term determination to be successful in what you want. I'm going to leave Shira the last word. So I'm going to say the term weight inclusive. I'm doing a, a lecture next 
next week on lifestyle and poor liver health rather than liver disease. And it's your superhero organ. So I am going to use the term weight inclusivity. I'm honoured. Ah, it's a beautiful term. And it is so right because it's not stigmatising. It's part of that journey. It's a beautiful term. Thank you. I will leave you the last word. I think your haircut metaphor, I agree with you, Orin, was extremely helpful. It's, it's not the way I've been inclined to think about this, number one. And number two, you didn't exactly say this, but you've been nibbling around it a lot, which is the idea that a partial success should be defined as a success. Right. You know, that, that don't, don't look at what you haven't done. Look at how much better you've done what you're doing. Right. Absolutely. I think that's huge because people tend not to do that. Thank you so much. And you, you took such nice uh, ideas for the summary. With the haircut, yes, it, it's a lifelong treatment. We just need to explain that it's, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You take care of yourself. Uh, it's part of your uh, maintenance. And the weight-focused approach is really, you can find also Louisa literature about it. In the treatment of obesity, it's a very, very nice attitude. And as with regard to what Ken said, I, I completely agree. I use a lot the issue of the next generation. I talk with my patients about their children and the risk also to have fatty liver. Therefore, the benefit they might have from changing the type of food they bring and buy to the house and cook at the house. And most importantly, I would like to end up with the term self-efficacy. We all need to work together, physicians and dietitians and, and nurses, to improve the patient's self-efficacy. The biggest problem is to convince them. The, diff- the most difficult thing is to convince them in their ability to keep up a healthy lifestyle. So by improving their self-efficacy, by positive feedback, and as you said, Roger, we don't need to be perfect. None of us is perfect. So if you're okay, 70% of the time, it's fine. It's a good thing. So if we use this approach, we actually increase the patient's self-efficacy. And I think this is really important for a successful lifestyle modification. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with another breakthrough episode, this time with Veronica Miller from the Liver Forum, discussing some of the forum's exciting and important work. You'll want to hear it. Until then, stay safe, surf on. If you're in the U.S., have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.